Have you ever read the New York Times? Sure. I mean, I've not sat down with like a physical paper and gone end to end, but sure. NYT comes across the wire all the time. I was really expecting you to say like, you know, every Saturday morning when you got your flip flops with your socks on and you sit in the back porch and you got your New York Times that, oh, I could see that. Yeah, my robe, the coffee that I don't drink. You seem like a robe guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I don't get dressed for the occasion of not getting dressed. Robes are not my thing. I bet I could see you spending 12 hours a day in a robe though. Hold on. No, the, the way you just said that, I feel like you've thought about that phrase before. I don't get dressed. What, say it again. Uh, I don't know what I say. For, for the occasion of not actually getting dressed. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's all a robe is. It's like you're putting clothes on, but not actually like taking the commitment of getting dressed yet. You have, these, like, you have these great little anecdotes. You should really... What, be on a start, podcast? You should, yeah, like be on a podcast, maybe start a column. You, know? <laughs> you think so? Yeah. Maybe for, a, maybe for a publication. I mean, not a big publication, maybe one that's like mid-tier, like the New York Times. You yeah. Know? Not, not, you some, don't want to... Some kind of a small startup pub like that that yeah. I can get a hold of. Maybe, maybe, go too uh, big, maybe too Holly Inneking knows somebody there. You know, it's so funny to mention as we continue our Ultraviolet series, uh, Holly, our VP of Marketing, interviewed Kara Swisher. A contributor writer to the New York Times opinion section. She might, or maybe we should just reach out to Kara, see if we can get you on there. And it's in the opinion section. So that could be the start. Like, hey, here are all my opinions and all the anecdotes I have. <laughs> Here's my first opinion bathrobes, yay or nay? I think it's a nay. I don't, I don't think so. It's a nay for me. It's been a long time since we nixed a piece of clothing from the general um fashion world's repertoire probably since probably since like uh elastic bottom knickerbockers and it's time that the robe also found in the trash well and and if there's two people on this earth qualified to be talking about fashion it's definitely you and i so let's let's continue down this path what else should we really? <laughs> what, what, what else should we dispel from people's wardrobes oh i mean i'm i'm first and foremost robe um is it is it you probably differ here, but is it time that in terms of the footwear world, Uggs and Crocs made their way out or are those coming back in? I'm seeing oh, more Crocs oh no. than I used to. Get out of here. I know I, I'm, I'm I knew okay. you were gonna I knew you were gonna oppose this because it's a good idea. That's why. I I I'm all for, I like Uggs. I like Uggs. But Crocs, I, I could not be less of a fan of. Uggs as in like the original Uggs, like the fur boots? Yeah. Yeah. You wear those? Oh, no, I don't wear them. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say yes, because I would love to see that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if I just <laughs> lifted up my shoe? And I, you know, it's 90 degrees out here right now, but I'm wearing Uggs boots. <laughs> you in Uggs in a fur robe. <laughs> I can picture that. I think that should be the new logo for the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, in this, like I said, in this uh, session, uh, Holly sat down with Kara. Um, for those of you who don't know, Kara, in addition to being a contributor writer for the New York Times, she also hosts a couple of podcasts, Sway and Pivot. They might be slightly more popular than this one, only slightly. Um, but we would not recommend you leaving this podcast to go listen to those. This one is going to be much better. You're going to like it a lot more. Definitely, because we talk about theirs. That's how you know it's better. 
Exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's been, uh, uh, Pivot has been described, no, I'm sorry, Kara has been described as one of uh, Silicon Valley's, um, or no, as the most powerful tech journalist. How do you get that? How do you get that title? Uh, well, that's obviously because I haven't started writing about bathrobes yet. Yeah. Well, so. and I think, and I think these are kind of like self-titles, right? Like we could become like fashion gurus, like the fashion gurus. Become Bobby fashion and gurus? I just did become a fashion guru. <laughs> I'm telling you, the bathrobe movement's going to happen. Uh, but in, in a more serious note, the conversation does have a, a serious tone to it about accountability. So for big tech, um, mostly for leaders and then also everyday digital marketers, um, as well as how to just kind of be yourself in this, like how to, how to strike a balance between those two things. So, and we hope you enjoy. We'll be back for a completely unrelated. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Ultraviolet. I am Holly Enneking, Vice President of Marketing here at Lev, and I'm so excited to be kicking things off for day two. Today is gonna to be another really exciting day of content, and I'm excited to kick things off with Kara Swisher. So Kara is a contributing editor to the New York Times Opinion section and hosts the podcast Sway and Pivot. She also co-founded the Recode website, and before that, co-founded allthingsd.com, a website for the Wall Street Journal. Previously, she's covered breaking news about internet's major players and internet policy issues and wrote feature articles on technology for the paper. Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's so wonderful to have you. Yeah, so I'd love to just start first with, you know, give us a little background. How did you get into this tech space and reporting with, uh, you know, in big tech, internet, all of these uh, interesting topics mm -hmm. that you've covered over the course of your career? Well, I, I, I've been doing it for almost 30 years, so it was a long time ago. Um, and I, I had been covering, <coughs> excuse me, um, I've been covering um, a lot of different th topics uh, at the Washington Post. I started off there in the mailroom and worked mm -hmm. my way up. I also went to Columbia Journalism School in between all that. Um, and I covered a range of things like retail and workplace issues and things like that. But I uh, had a semester at Duke University where I was a teaching fellow. Washington Post cycled people through there. And I started to really get interested in the early internet, which was very early. Um, people were using FTP, all kinds of stuff. And when I saw the Netscape browser for the first time, I was like, this is gonna change everything. This idea of linking these blue links and being able to get any piece of information. Cause early internet was like watching, there was one computer lab, I forget where it was, I think in Boston, where they watch coffee being made and things like that. And that seemed silly at the time, but if you had any imagination, you could see that everything would be digitized that could be digitized. So I got really interested and covered it for the post, wrote a couple of books on a, the AOL, uh, was who happened to be in DC, and then moved to the journal, covered the early internet there, um, and then moved on to lots of other things that I did. That's amazing. And I'm so fascinated because over the course of your career, you know, I often see titles for mm -hmm. you like, the, the most powerful, the most influential. Uh, there's That's also stupid. <laughs> there's one that I, I saw an interview where a person asked you about um, being the most feared woman in tech and you had the best response, which is that That's fear true. is just a, a word that men use for women who ask questions. And I just thought that was such yeah. a smart take. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, it's so silly. I'm not feared for what? They're the richest and most powerful people in the world. I don't feel like I should be feared. I mean, I just ask questions really, truly. It's kind of, I mean, that's a little media hype and stuff like that. And I just think there's a lot of amazing reporters now covering tech. I think the issue was when I started, a lot of people who covered tech were fanboys, essentially. 
you know, my goodness, Mr. Gates, how big is your brain kind of thing. And they were very interested in the gadgets and more than anything. And Mm -hmm. so they tended to revere uh, these people. And I just look at them as a business and a money making business. And I didn't sort of buy into their tropes about changing the world or anything else. I just thought they were businesses and covered them that way. I was a business reporter, so I thought it was best to do it that way. Yeah, no, I love that approach. I actually want to take us back a little bit Mm -hmm. to 2019. You wrote this manifesto, The Mm -hmm. Reckoning, which was so fascinating. And then you talked about how like Silicon Valley and big tech were in for this reckoning, or as you sort of summarized it, karma's a bitch, and that Mm -hmm. they needed to, Mm -hmm. you know, confront, you know, some of the, this monster that they've created in some ways. But then Mm -hmm. 2020 happened and the pandemic, and I feel like digital became like even more central in all of our lives. Do you feel like there was an opportunity missed for that, that reckoning opportunity? What's your reaction? The the reckoning is happening. It's just slower. Mm -hmm. I think one, another column Mm -hmm. I wrote was that once I saw COVID appearing, I think in March of 2020, I wrote a column saying tech will be more powerful than ever because it's necessary. I mean, there's no way to have a pandemic economy without relying heavily on digital. And so, you know, I said at the beginning, at the time, their stocks were down a little bit because of a lot of these mm-hmm. investigations, et cetera. And I said, well, now that's over because nobody can focus on that because the pandemic will take center stage and tech will take center stage in terms of being able to work from home or education or things like that. And so um, it, it, it didn't put apart the reckoning. It just created, made them more powerful than ever and richer. Now these companies are much more valuable and much more powerful. And so they have a lot more um, ability to push off real challenges from government or anybody else. Yeah. Do you, what would be your take on, you know, the capacity of, especially like leaders within these, um, these different companies to take on that challenge of like managing these, you know, these systems and these, you know, communication Mm -hmm. platforms that they've created? Right. Well, they're very different. I think one of the biggest, um, problems is they call it big tech. There's no such thing. It's not cigarettes. Manufacturers all made the same cigarettes, essentially. just had different names and brands, and but they all had the same product, essentially. In this case, they're very different. Apple is different from Facebook. Apple and Facebook don't like each other. You know, Microsoft is different from both of those. Um, Google is different from them. Amazon is different from them. And each of their problems that they have presented to society are different. Uh, it's very clear Facebooks are, are around social media and uh, civil discussion. Um, which they've kind of put a wrecking ball to or helped put a wrecking ball to. Um, It's not that people weren't jerks to each other before, but it's been amplified and weaponized in a lot of ways. Um, Conspiracy theories always existed, but they never had an outlet just like this. And people who were sort of on the fringes of society weren't able to articulate what they were thinking with such a broadcast ability. And so that's, that, that creates chaos essentially. Um, And that's away from gatekeepers, which I think is good to get rid of some of gatekeepers, but Everybody, if everyone can scream all at once, it becomes a cacophony. And that's really the problem. And you don't know what's fact or fiction or just a lie or malevolence or a country trying to manipulate our country like Russia has tried. Um, and so that that's a different thing than Apple, which has an app store mm-hmm. that has a monopoly within its own system, but not a monopoly across the world because it's not the biggest phone maker. That's That would be Google. Um, and so there's that. The app economy creates two, essentially two companies that control most of how other developers develop. And that's an issue. Um, Over at Amazon, there's marketplace issues um, Mm -hmm. where they own the marketplace and also participate on the marketplace. Apple has the same thing with Apple Music and other services. um, And they have the phone. And so 
they're all different. And Google's just one big search monopoly. And so that's another problem. And so mm-hmm. each of these things requires a different regulatory scheme work. If, you know, the only thing that matters to think about is there isn't any regulation for any of it yeah. at all. And it's very, you know, they just passed something out of uh, Amy Klobuchar's bill, which is a marketplace mm-hmm. bill uh, out of committee for the first time in history. And this is 30 years into the most powerful, you know, can you imagine if the cigarette manufacturers weren't weren't regulated in some way for that long and they were that powerful. It's, it's kind of weird, honestly. Yeah, well, that was something I was going to ask about was this idea, this complete lack of regulation, you know, thinking even from, mm-hmm. you know, people like myself, marketers who, you know, we are getting all this data, we're using all this data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we want to try and do what's best, but with no, you know, there's mm-hmm. no guidelines, there's no guideposts, like what, you know, what should we be thinking yeah. about? How can we be sort of managing that from our own sort of personal accountability to to our consumers? Well, it's not really your fault, right? You don't own these platforms. I mean, you have to use them, right? But you don't have a choice of where to go, right? You have to go to Facebook right. or Google, and that's it. I think, or Facebook, really, pretty much to get to get to re- do really important things. You know, Twitter along the edges. I think it's probably chaotic mess in there for a marketer. Um, you know, it's very you have very few choices online. And the only competitor to Google and Facebook right now in online advertising, for example, in marketing, is now Amazon, which means it's three big companies. You know, it's like, oh, there's some competition. I'm like, really? It's sort of elephants, you know, fighting. And then the grass, that's the grass is the only thing that gets affected. And so you don't have a lot of choices, um, including where your data goes, right? And how to manage data of your own customers. And that really is what's astonishing is they have data on your customers. And Mm-hmm. just the way they have data on me personally that I don't give them or I didn't consent to give them, or maybe I did, but I didn't think it was going to be used that way. And so we're mm-hmm. all sort of, um, I don't want to use the term victims, but we are cap- captives of these systems and have to go along whether you're an enterprise or a person. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any experiences where you felt like, oh, I, I don't like, I feel icky about how my data is being used right now. Or like, oh, this was a, a good experience where I feel, yeah, all of them. <laughs> It doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't, I turn off everything. So I just, I'm mm. aware I have, a, you know, I have all these things that really block everything pretty much, uh, including cyber attacks and things. But mm. I'm a little bit, most people don't behave like that. Um, but I, I think, you know, sometimes certainly it can be helpful. Like I think Apple, I have a much better relationship with Apple because I think they do have privacy. It's part of their brand. It's mm-hmm. part of their, um, the attraction of the iPhone. That doesn't say it's perfect, mm-hmm. but it's certainly has it's a it's a brand articulation that talks about privacy. So I'm more willing, as long as I give consent and it's very clear, to use their products. Like why wouldn't you want on Netflix to know movies that you like, like you might want to like? That any anyone would like that. What mm-hmm. it is is when it's surveillance that you don't agree to, or it's not explained fully to you, or resold to people you don't know. And so that's the problem. Is this is. Um, this is an economy, and it's not just these big tech companies. There's all kinds of data mining companies around there. There's mm-hmm. a zillion, and they, and then they're sloppy against hacks, and so that's they're not even protecting the data. They're essentially sucking away from you, and so that creates a real problem. And what we do, Marguerite Bestiger, who's one of the regulators in Europe, who's done a lot of there's new laws in Europe that are going to govern a lot of internet stuff. But um, she said we're trading convenience for everything else, all our data. So it's convenient to have a map. It's convenient. But the kind of information you're uploading to the cell phone that you carry around, this smartphone you carry around is astonishing and very unlike anything else because it not only knows where you're going, it knows what you're doing, what you're buying, who you're calling, um, and then what you're consuming. Everything like, oh, they looked at this, then they went here, and then they did this, and then they bought this. Now, now 
commerce is on there, like your wallets and stuff like that. And so it creates a perfect surveillance device that you are willingly carrying around with you and uploading to the cloud. Yeah. Well, and you bring up an interesting point. No, no, it's great. Well, and you brought up an interesting point around Mm -hmm. like cyber attacks. Like I think that's something that um, we're probably very ill prepared for. What's your perspective on, you know, what we can be, should be thinking about or could be doing proactively? Is there anything that we can be doing individually? Well, it's almost too late. I mean, the Russians have sort of gotten into a lot of our systems. I've done a lot of interviews lately with people like Nicole Pearl Roth, who wrote, this is how Mm -hmm. they tell me the world ends, how this all started. In some cases, you know, cyber is, is, Warfare, just like any other, it's just a different version. It doesn't have broken buildings, which are terrible, by the way, but it also can really be devastating to people financially or uh, ransomware is a big thing that's been happening. Um, there's all kinds of ways cyber attacks and uh, are really dangerous for us as a country and as a world. But, you know, the U.S. has um, incredible cap- aggression capabilities in this area, and we were the ones that did with Israel did Stuxnet. We shut down turbine. I mean, it has real world implications, but that doesn't mean we aren't vulnerable ourselves through uh, solar winds and all kinds of things like that. And so I would assume, you know, if you were a criminal, this is where you'd come because this is where the landscape is. This is where the surface area is. And there's all these surface areas of attack, whether it's side loading apps or other that that go around um, privacy things, whether it's, you know, you're on every level, you are subject to some attack. And these companies don't do the greatest job helping you and then or telling you. And then you have no capabilities of doing anything about it because you're carrying this device and you've uploaded all kinds of information. And so, you're again, you're being digitally tracked at an unprecedented rate. And so, I don't know, the only thing you do is just be born for the first time and then not touch a phone. <laughs> have no no trace of you in any place. We're too yeah, far gone, aren't we? <laughs> it's impossible. There's no such thing. You use a credit card. You use everything. It's yeah. not, it's, people joke about it, but it's really, you're totally tracked utterly. Yeah. And, and they know what you're going to do at some point. They have some sense of, you're not, uh, you're very predictable. Most people are very predictable in terms of how they behave and move and buy. And they can guess this AI, not just guess, they use AI to figure out what your next move is going to be. Yeah. And I think there's They'll a even really... know when you die now. They'll even know when you die because you, if you're wearing any of these devices that upload all kinds of data mm-hmm. about yourself. Eventually, yeah, they'll got know my when you're mom. about to die. Yeah, I don't see. You see, you're, you're I call them. I call them unwearables. I call, but I don't like oh. them. I just think they're. I yeah. don't think they give. I don't think they yield data of any interest. Like how many steps? So what? Like what does that do? Like I don't. It doesn't give you any actionable data. So that's why. Uh, except knowing how long you sleep. Obviously, I don't. I have a lot of children, but I already know that without <laughs> having an app. Time. You don't need the watch to tell you yeah. that you're not getting enough sleep. <laughs> no, I already know. I'm exhausted. Um, I'd love to know, you know, what your take is, you know, thinking like, you know, future iterations of, you know, where tech is going, especially mm-hmm. with like meta and the metaverse. Like, what do you see on a like sort of more immediate horizon of where these tech companies are, you know, sort of trying to yeah. drive things forward? Yeah, I, I was, am I, am I frozen? It looks like I'm no, frozen you're... for a second there. You're good. Okay. Um, I I don't think much of the metaverse very right now. I mean, it's going to come and it already exists. There's gaming and there's all kinds of stuff. But I think one of the things that you have to realize is this is all vaporware, as they say. Um, Facebook was having lots and lots of problems and they decided to change their name. That's all you need to know is they were trying to hide in plain sight, essentially. And they're making, they're investing a lot of money and they're doing a lot of things, but it doesn't mean they're going to make anything, right? It doesn't exist. Yeah. These products 
are very early on. And so eventually, sure, but it will not be them. It will be a more creative company like Apple or uh, Microsoft buying Activision is really interesting because gaming is a metaverse, if you think about it. Um, workplace could be a metaverse, but it's it, this is an idea that's been around a long time and there's already been lots and lots of experiments and people aren't racing to use what exists now. So it has to be a much more immersive experience. It's got to be one that's useful. You can't have these giant headsets on your head. It's just not happening that way. Um, I'm watching for Apple to come out with some AR glasses, which they're working mm -hmm. on, um, which is more that you interact with the physical world and the virtual world together. Snapchat's working on that. Um, but the idea of living in the metaverse is okay, not today. And not, listen, we'll be long dead before it's any good. Um, and I, this, I'm someone who really likes fast forward stuff, but it's a lot of chat, chatter right now. I'm sure you have just like NFTs and things like that. Everyone has to oh, say yeah. it. Um, but I remember when the internet started, everyone said, we have a website, we have a website. I mean, I get press releases. We have a website. Well, okay. Today that would be laughable, but Nobody yeah. did. Or we have an email address now. You can write mm -hmm. us email, this new thing, email. And so I think eventually it will start in gaming and it will move on to other areas. Um, but, uh, but you know, you could see workplace. You could see a lot of it in surgery or oh. mechanical things. But marketing in the metaverse is very, it's going to be very slow. I wouldn't worry yeah. so much. I'd focus on the avenues you have right now. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I'd also love, I feel like there's just been like a roller coaster of news around Twitter lately with Elon Musk. Yeah, and yeah. Like, he bought all these shares. He's joined the board. He's not bored. Now there's maybe problems. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about your point of view, what's going on and what's worth knowing about the situation? Uh, nothing. You don't need to know anything. It's just, a, it's, a sort right. of a, it's sort of a goat rodeo over there. No, but I'd be happy to. I've covered Elon for a yeah. long time since he didn't have any money, since he was at something called X.com, which is a payments company and through his career. And let me, on the, on the plus side, the companies he's making are really astonishing. Like uh, whether it's SpaceX or Tesla, he's moved forward technology, significant, important technology, not a dating service or whatever, like a game or whatever. This is serious stuff. And so it's very important. Same thing with his other things, boring company. I find very interesting tunneling or under cities to create, to deal with traffic. It's interesting. Um, you know, even even the Neuralink, <coughs> which is mostly just, you know, talking about it, this idea that we could upgrade our intelligence. Interesting, right? It's an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to Twitter, just think of it like, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's a it's a hobby hobby to him, and he happens mm -hmm. to be the world's richest man. So he bought, you know, I like I like the mustard so much, I bought the company kind of thing, and so or I like the donuts so much, I bought the store. And so um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an ad expression like that. But he, um, I, I like the razor so much about the company. That's what it is. Um, oh. And so he's a, he's a user and he likes it. And he has a points of view about free speech, which some of which are well-formed, some of which are not. Um, mm -hmm. And he just bought, he saw an opportunity because Twitter's been pretty undervalued for most of its, uh, in terms of stock. And he saw an opportunity to make some money, presumably, um, he, to make a point, to call attention mm -hmm. to himself. Um, and he joined, he didn't join the board. He sort of joined the board. They invited him to join the board. But then when he started to realize this was serious, that he couldn't have full control of it because he's only mm -hmm. one board member out of 12. And then there's management. He's used to, you know, in his companies, he's the, he's the king of the mountain. There he's not. Um, and he can't facilitate change. He, and the only thing you can do is lob tweets from out, from outside. But if you're a director, you can't do that either. And so I think he, 
changed his mind and thought, oh, I can't say mean things about the people I'm on the board with. No, I want to mm -hmm. be able to, uh, you know, they, and Twitter tried to get him in the tent so that he wasn't mm -hmm. screaming, but now he's just screaming outside the tent. He's actually been pretty silent lately. I suspect yeah. he's, he has, he's had some tangles with the SEC. I suspect mm -hmm. they, there was a call, phone call from, to, lawyer, to a lawyer of his that said, this is, now we've got you, because he was starting yeah. to talk about stuff that might have been insider information. Oh, interesting. Well, I have a feeling it's we're not done hearing about it yet, probably. <laughs> no, the, the 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 press release from Twitter was full of words like background check and risks yeah. and fiduciary duty, and so that's to that's mm -hmm. the big red flag of the SEC called us. That's that's what it reads like to me, and that lawsuits also lawsuits are coming. There already is one, um, but there'll be oh, a lot really? of lawsuits. It looks like he may have not disclosed properly, and if he didn't, that then he made some money when other people were selling, he should have told people he was in there above 5%. There's all the, Elon doesn't like rules and sadly for him, rules exist. Um, yep. And even though he doesn't think they do, they do in fact. Yes. <laughs> Maybe so, he thinks we'll they see. don't apply to Who him. Knows? one of those. <laughs> I'd also love well, to there are a lot of people take... in Silicon Valley are like that. Yes. Well, I think a lot of people yeah. are like that these days. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious on your take, especially about women or the lack of women in sort of the tech space, especially mm -hmm. at like leadership levels. And when you look at sort of the really abysmal numbers of female entrepreneurs who are getting any sort of VC yeah. backing, so what's your take on that landscape and any hope for improvement? <laughs> well, apparently women aren't as smart as men, I guess that must be it. It's ridiculous. It's, I'm, that's, I'm being facetious completely. It's yeah. ridiculous. Um, the numbers of investments in women companies decline pretty significantly during COVID. So that either means women are half as stupid or something's going on here that maybe isn't, isn't correct. And so um, I think what happens is people who are making these investments pattern match and they say, oh, look, that guy looks like the guy I invested in last time that I made money in. Um, I think there's, uh, it, it's sort of, there's not enough women on cap tables. So they're not rich enough to turn around and give money. And then when they're rich enough, like a Melinda Gates, they kind of have to give money to women. They have to do that rather than uh, across a broad portfolio. And so um, if you're not given a hand up to come up, you don't come up. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is. And I think there's, they can blame all kinds of issues on um, block uh, chain, you know, the, the, the idea that there's not a pipeline, that's the thing they use or not mm -hmm. enough women here, <coughs> what happens to girls in fourth grade around math. Um, mm -hmm. And what it really is, is because when you get down to it, when you go to boards of these tech companies, mm -hmm. it also has a problem with women, not just women, but women and people of color. And so yeah. it's it's got to be that they're either stupider than white men or maybe there's the fixes in for some people. And I suspect mm -hmm. it's the second one. Um, and, you know, of course, they don't mean it or they didn't see it or we have standards, which is only brought up when it comes to women and people of color. Um, but I think it's it's just a lack of imagination on the behalf of these people. And um, it's hard to fix when the fund, funding all the way through IPO is controlled by one group of people. So, yeah, absolutely. You're relying on the kindness of them versus what makes sense for a company, which a diverse company by every single um, every single study shows that a diverse company is a more valuable company. I mean, it's just they don't care. Yeah. Well, and you've said before, I mean, I've heard you say before in interviews that like, you know, one of the biggest problems with especially some of these social media platforms is that it's created by a bunch of white men who haven't been in situations where they feel unsafe. And so they yeah. can't bring that perspective to 
you know, what they're not creating. Every, not everyone. You know, that's a broad brush. But yes, yes. I, I think, you know, you have your priorities based on your experience. And so mm-hmm. you're going to create products that ap- appeal to you. Um, at one point in San Francisco, there was like dry cleaning and everything was bringing to your home. It was not just food. It was everything. We'll come and do this. We'll come and clean. We'll come and get your dry clean. And I called in San Francisco. You saw a lot of people testing these companies out. And after the umpteenth, you know, dry cleaning, home cleaning, whatever visiting, I was like, I've decided San Francisco is assisted living for millennials. So, you know, anything that makes their life more comfortable uh, is important to make as a product. And, you know, again, this is why I kind of like Elon, he's, he's shooting for big ideas, cars, mm-hmm. you know, autonomous cars, space travel. Uh, so I appreciate that even if he wants to tweet like a crazy person. I don't care. <laughs> Well, speaking of space cars, when you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, one of the things we talked about was, especially for marketers, like other new opportunities that are out on the horizon. And we talked specifically about like mm-hmm. using, you know, driverless vehicles as an opportunity. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about, mm-hmm. you know, what you see for marketers to maybe oh, expand I mean, our, our I market make, horizons? <laughs> I, I make a joke that probably is probably tasteless. I'm like, someday you're going to be able to drink and text in a car um, and because you'll be sitting in it. And so people are going to be consuming all kinds of entertainment and everything else in a car, food and every, lots of stuff eventually. And so you have to be thinking of that day. What would that look like? What would a car experience where people are, are in be like when you don't have to pay attention to the road where you just get in, like being on a train or a plane or whatever, and you just sit down um, and you have to think like that. Like, what does that mean? That frees up a lot of opportunity to market to people. People are willing and open to be marketed to. Um, you know, but I think you should look around not just that, but lots of areas like people are going a little crazy about NFTs and, and Web3. But I, if you're a marketer, you need to be paying attention to a lot of this stuff. I don't think it's a flash in the pan. There's a whole lot of grifters. Um, there's all kinds of you know issues around crypto, et cetera. But that doesn't mean it's not an important uh, new development. Um, uh, I, I'm just less hot on metaverse than I am on AR. And that's another thing like Mm. AR, where would you participate in AR? Um, You know, you're walking around with the glasses. It may, if you go, a good movie to see is uh, that Tom Cruise movie, um, Minority Report, as he's walking through a mall. That is not, look, that was done by futurists, very well-known futurists Mm. figured out where it was going. And if you look at that scene where he's, where he has different eyeballs and they think he's, a Japanese man. I, I think, I think that's what they, Mr. I forget. Anyway, um, you can look at how things are being marketed to him as they see his eye, what was on his eye. He had a contact lens, um, that was able to be read by all kinds of monitors. And that's a really interesting thing when you, I think that really does depict where we could be headed Mark from a marketing point of view. Uh, we had an interesting conversation with Ira Glass yesterday talking about especially using podcasts as a medium for advertising, sort of separate, right? Now thinking about yeah. like ad buys with television, you obviously lots of podcast work. What's your take on sort of that medium and space as an avenue for marketers? You know, I think it's great. I think the, 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 the it depends on what kind of ad you get. Do you get, an, get a host read or do you get a non-host read? I think that there's differences in prices there. Um, I do it's one of my podcasts. I read the ads, one of them I don't. Um, mm. I, you know, it's a different business model. Um, but one of the things that's important to think about is that this the, the relationship that a podcaster has with their audience is quite substantive. Mm. And it's a fan-based economy, really. I mean, Ira has yeah. a lot of fans. I have a lot of fans. Um, and so they tend to take those hosts' word for it, right? They, it's a really, they have a tight relationship. And I think 
it's a I think it's a really great way to reach people because mm -hmm. it's it, it, people are in an intimate situation and so they're really listening. Um, and even though you could fast forward through some of them, et cetera, you don't. I think people um, people do listen and they and they they sort of pay off given how inexpensive they are. I would I would bet they are more effective than television or anything else because that's kind of spray mm -hmm. and pray, right? So you can reach yeah. a certain audience of, you know, you know, Ira Glass's audience and you could know mm -hmm. what it is. Um, and so I do think there is a relationship that's good and that creates a good situation for marketers. Um, I'm not sure how big a business it is. That's the issue is how mm -hmm. big could it be? Mm -hmm. Like what kind of scale? The only person with scale right now is Joe Rogan and he's got a lot of issues if you're a marketer, yeah. right? You can like that. You can like Joe Rogan. Listen, everyone has their opinion about who they like, but Boy, are you signing on to some possible controversy there? Who knows what's yeah. going to come out of his mouth, right? Um, mm -hmm. Years ago, Howard Howard Stern was like that, and that's why I think he went to um, to subscription. I think he was like tired yeah. of it, like he doesn't want to have to argue. And he's since he now seems calm, right? He's like, wow, the mm -hmm. old you know, the <laughs> old new yeah. of broadcasting, yeah. yeah. And so um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good ones. Um, many years ago when I started doing, which was about eight or nine years ago, I just saw it immediately. Mm -hmm. There was the phone combined with the intimacy combined with the fan base combined with the ability to reach different audiences mm -hmm. that may not have read stuff was, was just, I thought it was irresistible. And we started doing well yeah. right away, um, and financially. And one of the things that, uh, and initially it was like, mattress companies and stuff like that mm -hmm. like it's like cable had early advertisers that then uh yeah. changed and ours changed to much more uh long-term i would say advertisers but at the time everyone's like oh it's just mattress companies and this and that and i was like they their checks still cash one first of all and secondly <laughs> this is how mediums start you have the initial ones who are willing to try more risk what they think of as risky things mm -hmm. and then the others move in when it becomes a proven thing so I think it just depends on the podcast and where you can pick, but you have such a range. And um, I remember someone saying, you can't make money from podcasting. And I was like, don't come in then. Please don't. We we're making a ton of money. Like, oh, don't. Don't jump into this. Don't throw me in the briar patch. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I, I think it's a really nice, among a panoply of marketing opportunities, it shouldn't just be that. Mm -hmm. But for certain companies, yeah. um, it's definitely moving from direct to consumer to brand advertising. That is for sure. And that's interesting yeah. to me. So what is what is what is the payoff for a brand advertiser, for example? Yeah, absolutely. I'd have to, I'd be curious to know of the ads that you've read on your podcast. Like, are there ones where you're reading and you're like, oh, this is painful and so bad or anything? You're like, oh, this is like, no, I won't do them. I'm very. No, um, no. Some of them are terribly written. But, you know, I we're very careful about what we advertise and what we're we, what I'm mm. willing to like. I use most of the oh, things we advertise. I like ethnic oh, beans. Nice. I love that. I, some people don't. I do. Um, mm -hmm. And I try really hard not to do stuff. We don't we're, we vet them quite heavily. I don't think everybody does. Um, and that's their choice. But, you yeah. know, for a while we uh, they're still around. Facebook keeps buying ads on my podcast. And I'm like, I literally beat you up every week. And at some point I'm like, and, and you know, it's bad experience where I, where they advertise how great they are. And then I come on and say, you know, they need to be yeah. sued. You know, it's a weird, it's a weird relationship. But um, at some point I was like, all right, if you literally want to be advertised on a, on a web, on a, on someone who's typically critical of you, I don't understand what you're doing, but oh, what, what am I going to do? There's a point where I, we've taken them off mm -hmm. with some things, but we spent a lot of time vetting who's on them. I, I really don't, um, I don't find it a problem if some of them are there because, mm. you know, when I worked for the Wall Street Journal, there was a Microsoft ad right next to my column. So 
Yeah. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say Microsoft was good or bad or anything else. And so, or I might've in the column or they might've done something. And I think it's, you know, it's sort of a mixed bag, but I think you do get in that space, you do get a very visceral relationship with people in a way that mm. I, I've had so many encounters with my podcast fans than yeah. I never had before, ever, 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 ever. It's really quite a, a, a leap. And they just love you. They love you or they hate you, actually, interestingly yeah. enough. Or they, you know, I have one podcast with Scott Galloway. And mm-hmm. every day I came today, like today I was walking and someone's like, that's Scott's such a jerk. I'm like, oh, yeah, he is. You know, and I was at, a, at my son's lacrosse game yesterday and two people were like, we love you, Kara. And I'm like, OK, great. And I, it was absolutely podcast fans. You know, it was nowhere. It wasn't television. They mm-hmm. do not. I never got that before I started podcasting. So was interesting. interesting i'd be curious to know too yeah. like you have this history of you know like being early adopter into like internet and tech scene like early adopter into the like yeah. what is it about these things that sort of you know stand out for you to think like oh that's interesting and i need to get involved like is there some sort of like is there what's the thing that makes you be like oh that's a thing i want to pay more attention to two two things one is is it a good business could it could or mm. could it be a good business i'm an entrepreneur by nature you know a lot of reporters aren't but i've started businesses and so i think about can i make money here like when i did events for example everyone was mm. like events don't make money i'm like well they could mm-hmm. like if you did it right and we have we've had a very successful business and um i also same thing with podcasts same things i try to reach listeners or audience where they are i spend a lot mm. of time thinking about that rather than um a lot of media makes stuff and then just shoots it down and just doesn't have a relationship with its audience. And I think what was my, what's a, it's a product to me. Um, and I don't mean that in a sort of crass way. It's just, why would you make things people don't want to consume, you know, in some way. And so I think a lot about, it doesn't mean I do everything based on what consumers want, because at some point there's t- editorial taste and everything else, but, mm. and that's critical. But I think a lot about where people are going and paying attention to the consumer because you know, many years ago, a Disney executive sort of by accident said the smartest thing I ever heard is the audience is taking control of the media and they're not giving it back. And that is exactly what has happened. And so whether you cl- flip around on Netflix or anything else or, or yourself as a consumer or, you know, pick and choose on Twitter or, or read news stories from Twitter rather than go to the front page of the Washington Post and read the whole thing, you could do that too. But you have to pay attention to the audience and serve them. And I think a lot of media has not done that. And a lot of marketing has not done that. They don't care about what's valuable to consumers. And I think that about that all the time. Uh, right now, I'm super interested in television because I think it's been done badly. I don't like all the scream fests on cable. I uh, This is news. This is an area I'm in. And I'm like, what, what do people actually want from their television experience? Because it can be a very powerful one. Um, and some things work and some things don't. And some things... When they don't work initially, it doesn't mean they don't work. It means they didn't mm-hmm. work at that moment, right? So I think yeah. a lot about that. I, for some reason, television, I'm like, how would you make something that makes money and also is the product people want? I spent a lot of time on TikTok looking about why that is so compelling to people. It's quite substantive in a weird TikTok-y mm-hmm. way, if you think about yeah. it. But so. well, And television has gone through such a fascinating like like life cycle of where they are and mm-hmm. where it started and like, you've got you know, all of the OTT platforms and that's really changed. And then now yeah. suddenly you've got some of the OTT platforms going back to the sort of old television way of like, we're going to only release an episode every week instead yeah. of all in batches. So they're like adopting right. some of those, but yeah, there's just, there's so well, much left to be decided. Data. 
They're using data. Mm. They're using data. To Keeps them, them coming back every and week. So maybe, maybe it doesn't. Maybe they drop them. And so I, th- I like the idea of experimentation, but I certainly know this is that um, I think the era, and it's been long over, of, of of the media managers being in charge of the audience is just gone. And they haven't seen, they don't understand that. And what's amazing is this, if you look on, uh, I'll use TikTok because I think it's the most creative thing going on right now. Look at all the creative people on it. You know, whether you're interested in air fryer content, which I am, or I watch so much of it and, I, and it's good. And so I, why would I be snotty about it? Like, why does it have to be you know, a media person doing it. And so if you look at all the creativity that's been unleashed, it's really astonishing, even though there's a lot of shitty stuff on there, right? There's a lot of really mm-hmm. dangerous and she's a, but boy, is there creativity there. And I think that's something I pay, uh, anything that's creative, I pay attention to all the time. Nice. Well, and I think you said something interesting too, especially around be- being focused on the customer or like the end user, the audience, what it is that they mm-hmm. want. And to your point, like, I think that's a thing that can be like, that's what makes bad marketing. Like if you're not thinking about the audience, you're only thinking about yourself and what you want to say, you have Mm -hmm. no real story to tell your audience and to tell a compelling reason to them about why they should care. Mm -hmm. Then what, what good is what it is that you're doing to your, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I find that really interesting is this idea that they're not smart and you're just (laughs) broadcasting to them. If you don't have respect for your audience, whoever they happen to be, I don't know what to say. Like you have to, and, and, and it's different audiences, right? Someone was talking about this new Apple subscription issue. And I, I love the idea of these. We call them rundles, re- re- recurring revenue bundles. Um, mm. And that's what Scott and I call it on Pivot. But why wouldn't you want to have a long-term relationship with a customer? And what would you? What are the adjacencies that they would go with you? What are the journey you would go with you on? Like mm-hmm. Apple, you might have a good relationship. You might take something else from them. Amazon, you like this? Well, yeah, I don't like this, but I like this. And so you can have, you can start to see certain companies, Disney's another one where you have a long-term relationship with it. And I think that's, if you're thinking about marketing, think about the long-term relationship and the value you bring to people's lives and with respect to their privacy. And people are willing to give up information if they understand they have a trusted relationship with you. And I think in this mm-hmm. world where everything just gets thrown at you, if you're taking a map or a dating service or whatever you get from these digital companies and you don't understand the value exchange, you're the cheap date in this situation, right? Why yeah. be a cheap date to these companies? They get they get all the benefit and you got none of it. And I think that's a really important thing to think about is respect for the audience of what you, if you, if you give value to your customers, they come back again and again and again because they understand that relationship. Yeah, no, I think that, is so spot on. So before we wrap up, I wanted to just take a couple of minutes talking about you a little bit, if that's okay. Um, I really admire about you just this like fearlessness you have of just approaching the world. Um, So much confidence in a very powerful way, I think. And so for someone like me, who, you know, maybe doesn't always feel that same level of confidence, you know, do you agree? Like, yes, you just like, feel very confident in who you are and how you're approaching the world. Any advice you have so someone, other people can sort of put I on that know. same persona? Uh, it, it, you know, it's a it's complex thing. I think I was always like this. I kind of, I have a, a two-year-old too. I have a lot of children. Um, but my two-year-old daughter, I have three sons and a daughter, and she is so confident and she's just like that. I don't know what to say. I, nothing we did to make her more confident. She was just like that. So some part of it is nature, right? Is a feeling that you that you have. But it's not all that. It's the it's the it's the um, encouragement of especially young people 
to be thinking widely. I off my older sons, I spent a lot of time challenging them or letting them challenge me, like in terms of ideas. And one point, and of course he twisted it the wrong way, Ben Shapiro, my son asked about him and I don't have much respect for his content, but I see why, I see he's powerful. I see he does, a lot of people read it. He's quite a big media organization. I said, why don't you read it and tell me what you think? I don't know. I, I, and he goes, what do you think? I said, I think he's an idiot, but you can, you don't have to listen to me, you know? And I, I had read his and I was like, this is just ridiculous. But, you know, I let him and he did. He did it and he came back and had the same conclusion, but he did it on his own. Um, and so and of course, he twisted into Kara doesn't let her son. I was like, no, he could. I want my kids to be able to think critically across things and not agree necessarily. So the confidence, mm -hmm. where does that come from? Um, is building. Yeah. There's an expression from Frederick Douglass. I'd rather build strong children than fix broken men, um, which I love mm -hmm. Frederick Douglass. Um, and so I think that about a lot. Like, how do you how do you get people? People aren't born afraid necessarily, right? They aren't born in a way that they're always being um, uh, attacked or fear, fearful. And so I think one of the things that I've done is um, I think a lot, my dad died when I was five. I think it was a very, it was a huge shakeup and it made me realize life is unsafe. So you're either going to say life is unsafe and be scared of everything and say, you could die at any time. You just might as well live. Right. And so I think that's the way I went, which was like, uh, okay, all right. Now I'm going to have to just life is capricious. And instead of depressing me, I'm going to make it motivate me. The other thing is being gay. I, I, you know, people didn't like being gay when I was, I'm an older person um, or older than most people. It's a little different now, although now there's all these attacks on gay kids and everything. It's really mm -hmm. gay people. It's these people never let up. Um, what, a, what an unpleasant group of people. I'm sorry. I don't know who's on your audience, but I'm, if you, this is your issue, you need to rethink your life. Um, and so, um, uh, so, so one of the things that I spent a lot of time with was the, at the time when you were gay back then, it was hard. It was really hard. People were very, uh, you know, society and people could be very terrible. And at one point I realized if they're not going to like me for a stupid reason, what do I care anymore? Like, so I just was like, if don't worry about people liking you, if you're a good person, that's all you're responsible for. And if they're going to like you for capricious, dumb reasons, uh, okay, like move <laughs> along. And so Someone asked me recently, what am I scared of? I'm scared of scary things. Otherwise, I'm not. Like, that's it. There are scary things in this world, and they're very obvious, but I'm not scared of anything else, and I shouldn't be. And so that's what I spend a lot of time doing. And also, again, getting back to this, I don't have an obsession with death, but I know I'm not going to be here 50 years from now. So I might as well live. And so I think of every, every bad decision I make, I'm like, am I going to be dead in 50 years? Yes. Yes. And it's always a yes. You know, it's one of those. You know, <laughs> yeah, the try. <laughs> then this, then this. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. Like, and then what's, what do you lose when you do things? Usually what you're holding on to is typically not as valuable as what you lose if you don't act most of the mm -hmm. time. So, yeah. I don't know. Well, knowing you're not really I scared wish I could of say anything. I drank too much. I wish <laughs> I could say I drank too much and it just made me crazy, but I don't drink at all. So no reason. I just so it wasn't that. Like, you drink yeah. At one point someone was like, you must drink a lot. I'm like, don't drink at all. I don't drink, drink at all. No, nothing wrong with it. I don't, you know. yeah. It's just not for me. Whatever. <laughs> well, you said you're not scared of anything yeah. that's not but particularly can I just scary. Make one more point. Oh, please. I, yeah. I, just, I think one of the things is people always say, you know, I just don't care. Like they'll like, I don't care what people mm. think. Like it's not, I don't care. It's, it, it's that I do care and I care about me mm. and I don't care about stupidity. And so one of the things you have to do is you can't say, I don't give a fuck because excuse me for cursing, but that's not really a good attitude, right? That's kind of mean to people. I, I just, it's not that I don't, it's that I do. 
I do care. And so I care about getting through this world in a way that's good. And so, you know, being a jerk is really not though, you know, sometimes when Elon actually does those tweets, I sometimes text him, I'm like, what are you doing? Why? Mm -hmm. What? It amuses him. Is that, is that indulgence really necessary? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's what I think about a lot is it's not, you don't care at all. It's that you care a lot. And that's what, that's how I look at it. I love that. I think that's great. Have there, so knowing that, um, you know, you've interviewed all sorts of people, you know, presidents, the Elon Musk's of the world. Have there ever mm -hmm. been situations where you've been uh, like felt out of your depth, been uncomfortable, didn't know where a conversation was no. going to go, or are you always coming in like ready for anything? No, I don't, I don't care who they are. You know, I treat everybody the same, whether they're Elon Musk and the president of the United States or, um, or a, a homeless guy in the street. Like, I don't feel like I, they deserve any more dignity than anybody else. Like nobody deserves more, you know, being nicer to or something like that. Um, one of the things is interesting. No, I don't actually. I was just with, um, uh, I, I did something with President Obama just recently and he's like, what do we should we do about this misinformation? I said, I would invent a time machine and maybe make some laws when you had power. Uh, and he was like, that's rude. I'm like, well, I think you didn't do anything. So like, and everyone around him was so solicitous. And I was like, he goes, you just say what you think. I'm like, am I wrong? Did you not do no. enough at the time? Because now they're really big. Like you wondered what to do about a dragon when it was in the shell. I was like, you should have done something when it was little. Now it's big. Mm -hmm. So uh, a time machine. And he laughed, but <laughs> whatever. He could take it. He could take it. He has, he has a good life. He can take it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to know too, like what keeps you doing what you're doing? Like, I'm sure you get so many offers to you know, join companies, do. do other things. Like, what is it that keeps you like focused on the stuff that you're doing now and, and where you've sort of gone in your career? Constant change. If I'm unhappy mm -hmm. with something, I leave. I really do. I think a lot of people, not everyone has choices. I was with a bunch of Stanford students and they were, of course, in their manic phase of, what if, if I don't get this one job with McKinsey, what will my life be? I'm like, you're kidding me. You're at Stanford Business School. You're kidding me, right? And one yeah. of the things that I try to say to people is you have choices at any moment. And so I constantly change. If I'm, if I, I do it, I'm older. I, ch I started all things D at 40 years old, right after I had a baby. Like I just change when, it, when the, the, when there's an expression from Mary Poppins, I'll, I'll leave when the wind changes. That's how I okay. feel. So I'll change. I think the ability to change is the most important quality that any, and adapt to whatever the situation is the most important quality. Not everybody has that choice. Some, you know, a single mom, no education, mm -hmm. lots of kids does not have the choices I do. So for me to agonize over my choices seems, uh, seems rather luxurious and I'm not going to do it. And, you know, uh, there's lots of people across the world who don't have choices. Most Americans, many Americans do, not all Americans. Um, uh, some are hindered by racism, by sexism. Those are things that are real problems, but, but a lot, most people can make choices to change. Um, and when you can do that, you should. Um, and again, I, let me stress, many people do not have that luxury. Yep. No, that's fair. So I just have one last question before, before we close out. So in addition to you, who else would you recommend, especially, mm -hmm. you know, female journalists that we should be following, learning from, you know, looking out for and um, getting more insight from? Oh, wow. There's so many. There's, oh gosh, a female journalists, just not necessarily, I'm trying to think, I read, ugh. Gosh, I, I can't give you names. Like, I read a lot. I like, okay. Sometimes I like stuff by Taylor Lawrence. I, I, I read mm -hmm. lots and lots of people. I look more toward um, people. I, the other night I had dinner yeah. with Maria Ressa, 
who won the Nobel Peace Prize. She's a friend of mine. And the reason why I knew her is because she came to me with data back in 2015, 14, about Facebook and how it was do, how it was being gamed by the Duterte regime and attacking journalists like her. And she was like, we're in real trouble here. Um, can you do something about it? Because Facebook's not listening to me. And, she, and she's a journalist. She started a company that's very much like one of mine. And she, she, she based her company on my company. You know what I mean? She saw what I was doing and then did it in the Philippines. Amazing journalist. Um, and, and then she brought me this data. And I was like, this is going to come here, this stuff. Like, it was so obvious they were testing it other places. And so I looked to someone like her. Like, that's who I look with, mm-hmm. someone who was so brave. She's under siege. She went back. I had dinner with her, and she's going back to the Philippines. She could be arrested oh. at any time and, oh, under crazy laws that, run, that, that the, these regimes are running to, to quash, uh, you know, dissent in any way. And so I look to people like that. Like, you know, again, any day I feel tired with my kids or overwhelmed by a dumb thing, although I can be very testy sometimes, I'm like, oh, look at her. Like, shut up, Kara. Like, really? <laughs> You know, and Put I it in perspective like that. Um, uh, it, it is. You got to always do it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, stop, stop what you're doing, and then start again. Um, but not to say that having lots of children isn't exhausting or a big job or stuff like that. But I, I looked at people like Maria Ressa, and she deserved that Nobel Prize. But she's still not safe, by the way. Um, and yeah. so I think about the courage it takes to get on that plane and go back to the Philippines when you know you know, or Navalny or people like that. Yeah. I'm kind of astonished by that. Uh, or, or, or in the people of, the, of Ukraine, it's just showing you mm-hmm. that people can stand up to uh, oppression and, and cruelty in a way that you don't think you can, but you can. But you can, yeah. Well, Kara, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I'm no so problem. grateful to, to have had the time with you. Thank you so much too, to everyone who's been watching. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this first session today. I hope you enjoy the rest of the sessions that will happen up until uh, later this afternoon. Just as a quick reminder, uh, you can navigate to all of the upcoming sessions using the agenda tab. And if you run into any technical issues, just look for the help center. Myself and the team and our tech support group will be there to help you if you need anything else. So thanks again and enjoy the rest of Ultravirus. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thanks. So kind of like what we were talking about earlier with New York Times, which we identified that you read every Saturday morning in your bathrobe while you're wearing your Crocs and uh, knee-high, knee-high white socks. <laughs> is, there, is there a publication or anything that you read? Like every, is there something you read every day? Um, I, I would say, well, no, not from a single source. I'm, a, I'm actually a firm believer that, that if you're looking for particular news, it should be from a specialist about that. So if I want financial news, I will go to a financial news specialist. I'm not going to get my, you know, finance news from, you know, CNN or, you know, CNBC or something like that, just because like, they're going to give high level generalist insight. Whereas, you know, if I want something that's, you know, finance driven or sports driven or something like that. Like even ESPN technically uh, is, is a generalist or, you know, or they'll spend most of their time talking about NBA and NFL. Um, and as you know, I'm a hockey fan. So for instance, you know, when I want in depth or, or like real insights into hockey, I might go to, go to like something like CHN, which is college hockey news. 
And those will be, you know, news stories about, you know, what uh, D1 team is getting a college team or something like that next year and things like that, that you won't actually hear the in-depth um, reports of like how they raised money, how much funding it took, when the team goes live, things like that. And so I'm a firm believer that I don't necessarily want the general, I mean, I'll take some generalist news here, but I feel like that you don't need to seek out that, that finds it's, it's everywhere. Um, so that'll find you. Whereas like, if I want to get in-depth knowledge at, in, you know, marketing or in finance or in sports or anything like that, I'm going to seek it out from like in-depth specialists that will give a generally unbiased view about what's happening and provide details. So like, even when you read like studies, I want to know where the data came from, from itself, rather than reading the article about the study. If that makes sense. I don't want the high level stuff. I fell asleep. Sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a high level overview review later. <laughs> okay. What about you? Uh, all I heard was you like to read about college hockey. And then I was just like, oh boy, this sounds painful. <laughs> Seeking out news? Oh, <laughs> Gross. Because like every media is going to be like, oh, we're unbiased news experts. Like, no, you're not. You're, you're just local channel 12, you know? I like uh, Highlights Magazine. I like uh, Sports Illustrated for Kids. Did you ever get that? Um, I think I did, actually. Is it still around? It has to be. It was, I loved it. You oh yeah, SIKids.com, yeah. Nice. You strike me as more like a cracked magazine sort of news source. I don't even know what that is. Isn't that the one with Alfred E. Newman on the front? Alfred E. Newman, I don't even know who that is either. Are you speaking oh. English? <laughs> you don't know cracked on, magazine? Here. No. Sports Illustrated for Kids, print magazine. The first issue should arrive in 12 to 16 weeks. Oof. What? What, are they going to write it as soon as you ask for it? Why is it taking three to four months to get your first issue? Oh, and it's only, you only get it, oh, because you only, it's only six issues a year. So it's every other month. Uh, I'm only, how, what's, what, what is a print subscription? 20 bucks. What is an online subscription? 10 bucks. What is both? They're always an option for both, right? Well, I'm looking at it on Amazon. It just has Kindle is 10. Oh, okay. Print so is 20. I, if you go, if you actually go to like SIKids.com or whatever it is, a lot of the times this is where we'll see like cool marketing tricks in the, you know, I call them cool. They're, they're deceptive and you know, but, but they're, they're, um, you know, pricing strategies where like a lot of the times you'll see this where it's like, Hey, you can get the print edition for 20 you get the online uh, edition for 10, but the print and online might only cost you like 15 or something like that. What they're really doing is just trying to get like more, more access, more accessibility, more information uh, and greater connection. And they're offering a discount for it because who wants just a print publication other than you? Yeah. It used to be a great magazine. I remember they would give you those posters in there sometimes too. I mean, obviously this was a different time. This was oh yeah, and the one you you, you pull out out of the middle, you unstably pull it out. Yeah, pull it. Yeah, you had to be real careful with the staples so that way you wouldn't have the holes left in them, like any mm -hmm. bigger holes than was already there. Yeah, yeah. I bet you just decorated, decked out the walls with those posters. That's really it. My uh, my niece uh, likes to give me a hard time because uh, 
one one time when we were on vacation uh, last year, I said, you know, we should start reading a book together. And uh, I still have only read three pages of it, and she finished it in a week. <laughs> so she's book. she's she's thoroughly convinced I read three pages a year. That's my reading level, <laughs> which isn't that far off. And you just told her that's not true average. It was a big year for you. you yeah, exactly. A half tops. Exactly. I actually <laughs> I learned how to read for this book. I thought Top to I bottom, got, left to right, that whole thing. Yeah, I should have wow. got more credit than that. Good I know for you, man. <laughs> so. What was the book? Out of curiosity. Oh boy, I can't remember. It was like a, it was like a, because she's thirteen, so it was like a goosebumps. It wasn't goosebumps. I would definitely because I I read all the goosebumps when I was a kid. I loved goosebumps, but it was it was like a mystery type of novel, but it wasn't goosebumps. Let's have all the listeners just wait on silent for the next like ninety seconds while I try to find out what this was. <laughs> Actually, um, I don't even know. I don't even know where I bought it. I couldn't even tell you. I uh, I collected. I, I think I still have goosebumps somewhere. I'm waiting for my nephews to get old enough to like get to that reading level. They're in second grade right now, but as soon as they do, they're inheriting a bunch of vintage goosebumps. Oh man, for hours. It's probably worth quite a bit of money. I remember I had a ton of like basketball cards, like a bunch of like because I I was a big Michael Jordan fan. I had like I had a book of just Michael Jordan cards. And I think I sold it for on eBay for like twenty dollars when I was oh. seventeen. It's like, oh man, twenty bucks. I'm rich. Yeah, yeah. I can buy so much candy with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can buy five thousand pixie sticks. I think it was like little brother syndrome in me. I didn't want Michael Jordan jerseys or cars like everyone else did. I wanted to go to get like the obscure guy. My favorite player was Spud Webb, five foot oh, seven yeah. slam dunk contest winner. That that was my jam. So I had a bunch of his. He was cards. awesome. Oh yeah, he was. He was I couldn't find a jersey for the life of me. It just wasn't that popular in my market. But, <laughs> um, but I did have a bunch of his cards. Well, we hope you enjoyed the conversation with Holly and Kara. Uh, as always, reach out to us at in the clouds at lovedigital.com, and we'll catch you next time.